Welcome to the Dash Mindset Podcast. I'm Sherry Ziedenbergen. You were born, you're gonna die, and your adventure is your dash in between. So make the most of it. Unlock your potential in all aspects of your dash by embracing your uniqueness and living in a way that's authentic to you. Not by doing more things, but by focusing on the right things. I'm a former corporate leader turned coach who's on my own journey, and I'm passionate about helping you on your journey too. So on the podcast, we'll explore how to live authentically by deciphering who you truly are and what you truly want. Are you ready to take a step toward designing your dash? Someday doesn't actually exist. So let's do it now. Hello there. It is Sherry Z with the Dash Mindset Podcast, and I'm super excited to have you here today. Last time in episode 10, I talked a lot about negative thoughts, and we're going to talk about them again today because we all have them. And they limit us and prevent us from reaching our potential. Plus, our own negative thoughts and limitations can impact others as well, especially when we don't take time to consider our negative thoughts, what they represent, and why we have them. So today, I'll share some specific specific (laughs) negative thoughts that hold us back from a different perspective. Based on a program I went through earlier this year through positive intelligence. Positive intelligence is something that interested me when I learned about it a few years ago, but I really wanted to make sure it made sense with the other work I do. And it became apparent to me that it absolutely does. But I had to give it some time and make sure because I love learning and doing all the things. And sometimes I have to treat my brain like a toddler. I say, no, not now. Sherry, and I put it in my middle parking lot to do sometime in the future. Then finally this year, I went through the positive intelligence coaching and loved it as much as I anticipated I would. It's one of the world's largest coach training organizations. And what I really love about it is that their research applies to all humans and to all types of coaching. So no matter what type of coaching you're doing, no matter who your clients are, no matter what the approach is, it just really complements it. So it really complements the UMAP coaching I do and adds yet another layer of self-awareness. It's yet another perspective that allows you to further develop self-awareness. And as you know, I'm all about self-awareness. I'm all about developing it. I'm all about applying it. It's something I'm constantly working on myself. So I'm now leading my first two positive intelligence groups through the program, which will finish up in the next few weeks. And I'm excited because I'm going to continue leading positive intelligence groups and incorporating positive intelligence into my coaching. So at the end, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And you can reach out to me if you have any interest. In the meantime, let's talk about what positive intelligence even is and talk about some of these specific negative thoughts. So positive intelligence measures the percentage of time your mind is serving you as opposed to sabotaging you. It's focused on mental fitness and on intercepting and conquering your negative thoughts. Not just a one and done thing, but on creating positive change that lasts. Similar to physical fitness, developing mental fitness takes time and effort too. So it's not just a one and done thing, but on creating positive change that lasts. So similar to mental fitness, it's, it's something that requires time and effort. No one develops a six pack from doing 10 sit-ups once. Right. It takes repetition. It takes building habits. It takes continual effort. It's not a point you reach and then you're done. Humans are complicated. We're complicated. Life can be hard. Self-awareness is uncomfortable. And growth and fitness of all kinds 
physical, and mental are a lifelong process. And passive intelligence in particular is all about mental fitness and shifting our negative thoughts to positive. So it refers to our negative thoughts as saboteurs. And the positive intelligence research has shown there to be 10 primary saboteurs. One that we all have, plus nine accomplice saboteurs that we all have at varying levels. So if you go to positiveintelligence.com, there's actually an assessment out there that you can take free of charge. And if you'd like to take that, go ahead and pause this before we continue. And and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of the saboteurs. So one thing I want you to keep in mind is if and when you do take the assessment, your scores are only relevant to your other scores. So if you score a nine in something and a two in something else, then the one you score a nine in is going to be the one that you're going to want to focus on. The two, not so much. If you were to look at somebody else's scores, their scores are irrelevant to yours. So it's all about your own scores relative to one another. It's not about your scores relative to other people's scores. Okay, so does that make sense? So if you're interested, pause this, go to passiveintelligence.com, complete the assessment. It's free. You'll get it right back. And if you want to postpone, that's fine too. But it might be helpful just to follow along and uh, look at your scores as we go. Aside from that, before we go through each of the saboteurs, I want to reiterate that every human on the planet has negative thoughts or saboteurs. I'm going to keep referring to them as saboteurs here, okay? So in the last episode, I talked about the number of thoughts we have and the percentage of our thoughts that are generally negative. And today, I'm going to break it down into specifics, into some specific saboteurs based upon the positive intelligence research. Why we have them and why it's helpful to be aware of them and discuss them. So negative thoughts are helpful, right? They alert us to something we may want to pay attention to. Sometimes it seems like life would just be bliss if we didn't have any negativity, if we didn't have any negative thoughts. But we need negative thoughts to alert us, to help us recognize when we need to pay attention to something. The problem is when we stay with the negative thoughts and the negative emotion that comes with our negative thoughts for too long. It's like putting our hand on a hot stove and then keeping it there rather than removing it. So these negative thoughts, these saboteurs can be helpful. We don't want them to completely go away. It's about paying attention though and recognizing when they're no longer serving us. Our saboteurs basically turn our greatest strengths into our greatest weaknesses by abusing them or overusing them. They tell our brains we need them. We need them to be successful. We need them to improve. We need them to perform, to be happy. And they came around at some point during our childhood, sometimes to protect ourselves. Not necessarily from extreme trauma. They could have been developed in either a perfectly happy childhood or a difficult childhood. It could have been anything. Due to parents, siblings, friends, something in our environment that led us to believe we needed to be or act in a particular way. And we held on to it. And our brains were programmed to keep behaving in a particular way throughout our lives. I am 48 years old and I still have the same saboteurs I was conditioned to believe I should have when I was a kid. Now, I didn't take the positive intelligence assessment when I was a kid, but I am so familiar with them now after recognizing their existence that I know this is how I've behaved throughout my life. And I know that I was conditioned to have these, these thoughts and, and believe I needed to hold on to them to perform, to be happy, all the things. 
They may have shifted slightly based upon my circumstances, but they remain mostly the same. And that's the case for all of us. And they don't serve us to the degree they tell us they do. In fact, in the long run, they actually generate the exact opposite of what they promise. So it's helpful to be aware of them because like anything else, we can't fix something we don't know about. We can't adequately address a problem we don't even know we have. We need to be able to specifically identify it. And given everyone has them, admitting we have them and discussing them helps normalize them and helps remove any guilt or shame or denial we may have because of them. So let's talk specifics. We'll start with the first saboteur, which is the one we all have. The one we all have is referred to as the judge. And the reason it's referred to as the judge is because we judge ourselves. We judge others and we judge our circumstances. Again, our negative thoughts are important signals for our survival, but it's a matter of considering when they're not serving us. So let's talk a little bit about the judge. The judge asks us, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with my circumstance? What's wrong with this outcome? And so our judge is what finds fault with ourselves, with others, and with our circumstances. It's the source of a lot of our disappointment, a lot of our anger, regret, guilt, shame, anxiety. And it's what activates our other accomplice saboteurs, which we'll, we'll talk more about. But we have a lot of guilt, regret, shame that comes from it. It's all instigated by the judge. It's what insists a circumstance is either, well, is bad. So in episode 10, I talked a little bit about how circumstances are always neutral, they're always neutral. It's our thoughts about those circumstances that make them either good or bad, right? So our judge insists the circumstance is bad rather than seeing it as a gift or opportunity. It focuses on what's wrong. And it's what causes us to keep those mistakes that we've made in the past swirling around in our mind. That's all due to the judge. So we justify the existence of our judge because we think, okay, if, if we don't push ourselves, we're going to get lazy. We're going to get complacent. Without that thought, we're going to just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. Without that thought, we're not going to work hard enough. If I don't feel bad about an outcome, then I'm not going to make any changes. I'm not going to do anything to change it. So that's our judge. That's something we all have. And we do need to have some negative thoughts, right? To, to signal when we need to... It's almost like an alarm, right? When we put our, our hand on a hot stove, but sometimes it doesn't serve us. A lot of the time it doesn't serve us. So we need to be aware. Okay, so now I'm gonna start talking about the nine accomplice saboteurs. And I'm not gonna talk about these in any particular order. I'm just gonna talk about them. And whatever you score the highest on, probably the, 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 the one, the two or three that you score the highest on are what you would wanna pay attention to. I might not necessarily, in fact, I know, I know I'm not going to get to the, here's what you can do about these saboteurs. Here's what you can do about these negative thoughts. I'm not going to get to all of that today. Today, we're going to focus on just the awareness that you have them, okay? I will say that what we ultimately want to do and what I'm working through the people who are in my program right now, what we're working on is shifting these saboteurs to the sage perspective. So we're shifting those, the, we're reprogramming our brains and we're developing habits. We're, we're becoming more mentally fit to ensure that those negative thoughts don't just stick around 
and keep swirling through our brains and that we are intercepting them and shifting to sage. And the more we do that, the more we are reprogramming our brains. It's possible to actually do that, which is you know something I talked about in episode 10 as well. This is a different way of doing that. So the whole purpose is to shift from our saboteurs to our sage. Not gonna get into the how today necessarily and not gonna get into what specifically I mean by sage, but know that there is a positive. I'm just not gonna be sharing it today or I'm gonna be on here for two hours and nobody wants to listen to me for two hours in a row. Okay, so now I'm gonna talk about the nine accomplice saboteurs. These aren't in any particular order. Maybe I have them in alphabetical. I don't know. They're not in any particular order. So just know that the order means nothing. Okay, so I'm going to go through each one and, you know, really thinking these through, you might recognize some behaviors in yourself, whether you've taken the assessment or not, and or it might help you understand other people better too. So I encourage you not to share thoughts with anyone about, oh, hey, by the way, I know you're an avoider, you're a controller, any of these things, (laughs) unless you have some discussion first, right, about the saboteurs and this person is interested in learning more about them. But it really is beneficial to better understand yourself and be aware of these things so you can work on them within yourself and it helps you better understand others. So just keep that in mind as we're going through this, okay? So the avoider is the first accomplice saboteur I'm going to talk about. And the avoider seeks peace and harmony internally and externally with others. They focus on the positive and pleasant, which is great, but in an extreme way, avoiding difficult and unpleasant tasks and conflicts. They often say yes to things they don't want to, and they often downplay the importance of real problems. The thought is, this is just too unpleasant. Maybe if I don't do anything with it and I just let it go, it'll take care of itself. If I deal with it now, I'm going to cause some hurt feelings or I'm going to cause a scene. I'm going to, you know, get into conflict with others. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to ruin my friendship. I don't want to lose my connection. And they really, they just want to be a good person. They want to spare other people's feelings. They feel like, you know, no good's going to come out of the conflict I'd rather be flexible and someone needs to be the peacemaker. So they suppress their anger and they suppress their resentment rather than expressing it. And the impact is ultimately that denying the conflicts, denying all the negativities that do actually exist are going to prevent them from actually working through them and turning them into gifts. So what they avoid is actually going to fester. So as good as that avoidance feels in the moment, it actually leads to festering. That's the first one. That's an example of how it actually works. It's someone with the avoider saboteur is telling themselves, oh, I need this. This is going to allow me to to focus on the positive and the pleasant, but it's going to result in festering, festering negative thoughts, right? So, so that's the first one. And that's kind of how I'll walk through each of these. Okay, controller. Controllers are confident. They're action-oriented. They're decisive. They're persistent. They're willful. They like to challenge themselves. They challenge others. They're able to do the right thing, even if it's unpopular. And the controller is an anxiety based need. It's anxiety-based and people with the controller saboteur need to take charge and control situations 
and people's actions. So they have high anxiety and they're impatient when it's not possible to control situations and people's actions. And as we all know, as much as we would like to control other people's actions <laughs> and other people, it's just not always possible, right? So it leads to high anxiety. So some of the characteristics of someone with a controller saboteur, they have strong energy, they want to take control, take charge. Oftentimes they connect with other people through competition, through challenge, through conflict, instead of some of the softer emotions. And they come alive when they're doing the impossible and beating the odds. The thought to someone with a controller saboteur is that they're either in control or they're out of control. But they really think that without the controller saboteur, they're not gonna get much done. That no one can get much done without being in control. That they need to push people. And if they don't control, they're gonna be controlled. And they just, they don't wanna be controlled. Their thought is that they're trying to get the job done for not only their own sake, but the sake of everyone else. But they feel high anxiety when things don't go their way because they often don't. And so they deal with a lot of anxiety. And because many things in life and in work, in all aspects of life, are ultimately not controllable, they deal with high anxiety a lot. So that's the ultimate outcome for a controller. Hyperachiever is the next one. And this one resonates with me because... I am a hyperachiever and it's something I'm continuing to work on and have for a long, long time. But like I said, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress until until the final day, right? So hyperachiever. A hyperachiever is driven, pragmatic, adaptable, goal-oriented, self-directed, really capable of growing themselves, as well as helping others achieve full potential. So those are all good things. However, their dependence on constant performance and achievement for self-respect and self-validation can be exhausting and often lead to unsustainable workaholic tendencies. That all resonates with me as well. And that might resonate with you. Or maybe you know someone like that. They're really goal-oriented. They have a workaholic streak. The thought is, I must be the best at whatever I do. And if I can't be outstanding, I'm just not going to bother. Now, I want to point out that these are all generalities because there are lots of things I know I'm not that good at (laughs) and I'm still bothering. (laughs) So just know through all of these, these are all generalities. But the thought is that as a hyperachiever, we want to be efficient. We want to be effective. Generally speaking, we focus on thinking, we focus on action. And the thought is, I can be anything I want to be, that I am worthy as long as I'm successful. Life is about achieving and producing results. The impact to ourselves and to others often though, is that peace and happiness is actually fleeting and short-lived in brief celebrations of achievement. So one thing that I know I have been challenged by throughout my life is the thought that, okay, I'm going to achieve this. And then I achieve that thing. And I just have this moment of, you know, celebration and excitement and enthusiasm. And then I'm off to the next thing, which is exhausting. So if you are a hyperachiever, I know that that really resonates with you because a sense of peace is fleeting. Happiness is fleeting. It's not that we go through these, 
you know, long periods of pure happiness because we're humans and it's, it's 50-50, right? So it's short-lived. So self-acceptance is continuously conditioned on the next success, which can get exhausting. And that has been one of my struggles throughout my life. So ultimately it's exhausting, become workaholics, all the things. And although I've been telling myself throughout my life, oh, it's good to be a hyperachiever because I don't want to get lazy. I don't want to get complacent. It results in, in exhaustion and always following the next thing. Okay, so that's hyperachiever. Hyper-rational. People with the hyper-rational saboteur are capable of deep insight. They're capable of understanding through objectivity, through objective analysis. They can be very observant, very perceptive. They have a lot of power of great mental concentration and they drive towards great expertise in areas of knowledge. They're the ones who can be really great explorers, really great inventors. They have an intense and exclusive focus on the rational processing of everything, including relationships. Again, these are just generalizations, but sometimes they can be perceived as cold, as distant, and as intellectually arrogant. They have intense and active minds, sometimes coming across as intellectually arrogant and maybe even secretive, like I said. They have a tendency to be private and to let, not let many people into their deeper feelings, mostly showing their feelings through passion and ideas. And they often prefer to just watch the craziness around them and analyze it from a distance, not necessarily being super involved. Their thought is that the rational mind is where it's at and their feelings are distracting. They're just, they're just irrelevant. Many people are so irrational and sloppy in their thinking and their needs and emotions are just distracting. The needs and emotions of other people are just too distracting and just pulls them away from what they're supposed to be doing. They want to shut out their intrusions. They value knowledge, understanding, and insight. And self-worth is attached to mastering knowledge and competence. The thought is that the rational mind is the most important thing. And so it's really frustrating when others are emotional and potentially irrational or just not rational enough. So ultimately, the impact on themselves and on others of the hyper-rational is that it limits the depth of their relationships. It limits the flexibility of their relationships in work and in all aspects of life because they're analyzing so much of the time rather than actually experiencing the feelings. And sometimes they have a tendency to intimidate people who are less rational or who are maybe less analytical, less analytically intense. Anyway, it's great to be rational, right? But like, like the other strengths, it's just a matter of ensuring that they're not overused because then it, it limits us like anything else. As one would guess, hypervigilant people are vigilant. They're sensitive and they're aware of risks and dangers to themselves, to others. They're loyal, they're reliable, they're dependable, they're hardworking, but they have this continuous intense anxiety about all the dangers, about all the things that could go wrong. I'm thinking about, what's the chicken who says the sky is falling? Is it Chicken Little? <laughs> Am I getting mixed up with Stuart Little, the mouse? 
I don't know, but that's what I'm thinking about is the sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? And then eventually he gets ignored because everyone's like, okay, the sky isn't really falling. So that can happen with with hypervigilant people. So their vigilance is never put at rest. They're just always vigilant and they they just can't make it stop. So they're always anxious. They have chronic doubts about themselves and about others. And they're just constantly expecting danger. It's just constant. They, they just can't shut it off. Their thought is, when is the other shoe going to drop? If I make a mistake, what's going to happen? How am I supposed to trust other people? How am I supposed to trust their motives? What, you know, what's going to happen if I put my trust into somebody else? Their thought is, life is just full of dangers. And if I'm not the one who's looking out for them, who else will, right? So they take it upon themselves to feel like, you know, they need to figure it all out, that they need to watch for, out for all of the, the the dangers. So it causes them to be skeptical. It causes them to be cynical a lot of the times because they're anxious and they're highly vigilant. And so the ultimate impact of that is just constant anxiety. So much of their energy is just put into to vigilance. And they just don't have an opportunity to put it toward anything else because they're just so anxious about dangers and what's happening that so much of their energy is put in, into that that they they don't have an opportunity to put it anywhere else. So that's that's the hypervigilance. That is the exhaustion of the hypervigilance. Okay, the pleaser. I know a lot of people are very familiar with this. The people pleasers out there, you're gonna. This is gonna resonate with you. So pleasers are loving, they're giving, they're really tuned in to others' feelings and needs. They're they're emotionally self-aware, they're empathic. They really care about other people's needs and it's really a focus for them. So they indirectly try to gain acceptance and affection by helping, by pleasing, by rescuing, by flattering. And oftentimes they lose lose sight of their own needs and become resentful as a result. And that's not always apparent, but that can often be the case. So the pleaser has a need to be liked by people and they attempt to earn it by helping, by pleasing. They often want frequent or they often need frequent reassurance by others about their acceptance, about their affection. And sometimes it's hard for them to express their own needs openly and directly. So oftentimes... People feel like they need to reciprocate or they feel obligated to reciprocate. So sometimes they can come across as needy and sometimes they can be too forceful and intrusive and trying to help other people. And other people are like, no, 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 I don't, I don't need that. But they just, they just want so badly to please the other person that they can almost get intrusive. People who are pleasers often have a really hard time expressing their own needs. And they feel like if they're direct about what they need, they're going to be viewed as selfish. They're worried that if they insist on their own needs being met, it's going to drive other people away. So the result is their needs aren't met. That can lead to burnout and it can often lead to resentment as well because no one's considering their needs. No one's considering the needs of the pleaser. They might not even feel like the pleaser has any needs, right? Because they're not being direct about them. They're not telling them. In addition, it can result in the people the pleaser is helping becoming dependent and not even learning how to take care of themselves because the pleaser is is meeting all of the other people's needs. So that is ultimately 
not a good thing, but in the moment, like all the other saboteurs, it really feels like the pleaser is doing everything they're supposed to be doing. So that's the pleaser. And like all the other saboteurs, it's an overuse or an abuse of strengths. So some of the strengths that someone with a restless saboteur has are high energy. They're open, curious, potentially spontaneous. They have a contagious enthusiasm and appreciation for life. And they're capable of great productivity and creativity. And they're energizing, they engage others, and they're capable of all kinds of activity and pursuits. So restless is constantly in search of greater excitement, of more excitement in the next activity. And they're just constantly busy. They're rarely at peace. They're rarely content with the current activity. Sometimes it's a strategy. It's a strategy to escape from dealing with fears, with anxieties, with painful feelings. So restless is a saboteur of mine. So all of this resonates and I'm often feeling like I'm all over the place (laughs) and dealing with overwhelm, um, which is something I shared in my last episode as well. So some of the characteristics of someone with a restless saboteur are they're easily distracted. They can get too scattered. They're always busy juggling lots of things, lots of tasks, lots of plans, and really seeking out excitement, variety, and not comfort or safety. This is something I especially work through (laughs) when we are on vacation because I want to see all the things. We generally do not go on trips that involve sitting on a beach because I would be there for about five minutes and say, "Um, okay, so now what are we doing? (laughs) This is something that I am constantly working through. And I am always reminding myself, let me sit back. I'm always trying to remind myself, reminding myself to remind myself, not everyone is like this. So I have to recognize when the rest of my family might want to sleep in or go to bed early and I want to go do all the things. So it's a constant challenge that I'm trying to work through. So the thought is often, as someone with the restless saboteur, is the thing that I'm doing right now isn't fulfilling. The next thing is going to be more exciting. Sometimes it's this feeling that, okay, the negative feelings I'm feeling, they kind of suck and I need to shift my attention. I need to shift to something more exciting and why can't anyone keep up with me? (laughs) So I'm laughing because this is especially true when I'm on vacation (laughs) with my So they're pretty accustomed to it. We set expectations before we leave. We're, we're, you know, we figure it out. The thought is really life is too short. It needs to be lived fully. I don't want to miss out on anything. So I often have FOMO about a lot of things and I am always talking myself through. And so back to the beginning of the episode when I was talking about wanting to do positive intelligence a few years ago, that is an example. I... I'm always talking myself out of doing things. So talking myself into things is very rarely a challenge for me. It's that I have to talk myself out of things a lot of the time. So um, yeah, that's what it's like to be restless. Underneath all of that, all of the fun and the excitement is 
sometimes an anxiety that makes it hard to be present in the moment. So that's something I'm really appreciating from the positive intelligence training is to really focus more on being present and really appreciating the moment. And there are a lot of times I'm absolutely in flow. I'm absolutely enjoying the moment. And so one thing that I really appreciate about recognizing that coaching is what I really want to do is because when I am coaching, when I'm learning about stuff like this, when I'm doing the podcast, I'm really in the moment. So it allows me to be more present. And that's something I've always struggled with. So that is getting much better. Okay, back to other restless people, not focusing on myself. Sometimes, <laughs> which is probably clear, I'm, I'm making my point right now. Others have a difficult time keeping up with the frenzy and chaos that's brought on by a restless. So point made, I don't think I need to say anything about that. The feelings of a restless. Impatience with what is happening now, wondering what's next, fear of missing out on other more worthwhile experiences and wanting more and more options. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, well, if you have that, you understand. And if you don't, just listen to my podcast and you'll, you'll understand. Okay, stickler. Another word for stickler is probably perfectionist. Sticklers have high ideals. They're principled. They have high standards. They are able to bring organization and order when there's ambiguity, when there's chaos. They are always focused on doing the right thing. They're self-disciplined. They're direct. They're, they're discerning. The challenge is that they want perfectionism and they have a need for order and organization, yet they often take it too far. So that's, that's the primary challenge in all of this. They are often punctual, methodical. They can get irritated. They can get tense. They can get opinionated. They can get sarcastic. And they can be highly critical of themselves, absolutely, and others. They have a strong need for self-control. They have a strong need for self-restraint. They often work overtime to make up for the mistakes of others, for other people's sloppiness, for other people's laziness. And sometimes they can be highly sensitive to criticism. The thought is that right is right, wrong is wrong. I know the right way. If you can't do it perfectly, don't do it at all. They often think that other people's standards are not high enough, that they're lax, that they need to be more organized, more methodical, and that those are all necessary in order to get things done. They hate mistakes and they often justify their actions by saying to themselves, this is a personal obligation. It's up to me to fix whatever mess I encounter. Perfectionism is good. It makes me feel better about myself. There's usually a clear right or wrong way of doing things. And I'm the one who knows how things should be done. And I must do the right thing. Often creates it often creates anxiety, not only in the person with the stickler saboteur, but it also makes other people anxious and feel like they're going to mess up. And the stickler feels anxious and feels like, okay, somebody else is going to mess up the order and the balance that I've created, which creates anxiety in other people too, and often creates 
anger and even resentment that they try to suppress, that they try to shove down. So the ultimate impact is that it reduces flexibility and it's hard for other people to to work with sticklers because they feel like they're never going to be enough. They're never going to do the right thing. It's just an ongoing source of frustration. It can cause self-doubt because perfection isn't real. And so it's this unattainable goal, goal that they're always striving for. And it can cause other people to feel like they're criticized and there's just no way to please the stickler. So stickler is another another high score for me. So there you go. Okay, one more. One final accomplice saboteur. And that is it. So the final one is victim. In general, people with the victim saboteur are sensitive. They feel their own emotions very deeply. They're very clear about their emotions. And that includes difficult emotions too. And they're really introspective. So they are capable of really deep introspection, really deep self-discovery, and they appreciate the uniqueness of other people as well. So lots of lots of good things. Generally speaking, they're emotional and temperamental, and it's a way to gain attention and affection. So like all the other saboteurs, it was something they did to either protect themselves when they were a kid or um, it was a way to that they learned to be happy, to achieve, to, to be successful. So it's a way to gain attention and affection. It's an extreme focus on internal feelings, particularly painful ones. So they often have a bit of a martyr streak. And if they're criticized, if they are misunderstood, they have a tendency to withdraw maybe to sulk. They can be pretty dramatic, temperamental. And sometimes when things get tough, they just want to crumble up. They just want to give up. They have a tendency to think that terrible things always happen to them. And they somehow feel uniquely disadvantaged or flawed in some ways. Feeling like if someone would just rescue them and help them with their disadvantages that you know, that's going to save them. So ultimately for people with the victim saboteur, the thought is that if they are to really be loved and get the attention they deserve, they need to, they need to share those thoughts with other people. But ultimately, like all the other saboteurs, the, the overuse, the, the abuse of the strengths, it's backfired ultimately. So it backfires because people are pushed away. People get frustrated, they feel helpless, and, and sometimes they even feel guilty because they feel like they can't do more than just provide a temporary Band-Aid to, to help the victim with their pain. So those are all the saboteurs. And I really encourage you to take the positive intelligence. It's called, it's called the uh, saboteur assessment, I believe. If, but if you go to positiveintelligence.com, you take the free assessment, it's really, I am an assessment junkie, but this is one that I really encourage you to take because like I said, having that self-awareness, recognizing that there's a reason why you have these negative thoughts and having that awareness of what exactly they are and 
some of the reasons why you do the things you do is just so beneficial, helps you understand other people as well. So I'm not going to get into all of the things that allow you to shift from your saboteurs and what allows you to intercept those thoughts, to move to the the positive thoughts, to move to the sage, but it is possible. And that's something I'm going to talk about another day because this has been really lengthy, just getting through all 10 of these saboteurs. But I'm really excited to share those with you at some point, some opportunities for actually making that shift. But for now, I really want you to know it is possible. One of the tools you can use is the one I I had shared in episode 10, which is the uh, CTFAR approach. But know that it is possible. It is possible to reprogram your brain. It's possible for you to better understand yourself, to better understand other people. And this is just one way to do that. So I am working with a couple groups right now. I'm enjoying it so much and it's just been so much fun to help people recognize some of those negative behaviors, some of those negative thoughts they have and why they're having them. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And if you have any interest in working through that with me, I would love to help you. And if you just want to chat about it and and hear, you know, what's it all about? It's all about developing those habits and really become mentally fit, which just like physical fitness is a process. It's not just a one-time thing, but it's a process and it's about building habits. So it's a six-week program that I'm working through with people. And I would love to chat about with you if you have any interest. In the meantime, go to positiveintelligence.com, complete the assessment, learn some more stuff about yourself because it's definitely going to be helpful. And Yeah, so I'm going to talk to you about the sage, about how to shift from your saboteurs to your sage. I'm going to talk about that another time and we'll have some um, conversations upcoming too. And I am really excited to be here for you and to see you again next time. Have a great couple weeks. Thanks so much for listening to the Dash Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends and leave us a review. Follow me on my social media platforms highlighted in the show notes and get in touch with me at the-mindset.com. Share the topics you'd like me to explore in future episodes. Thanks again for listening to the Dash Mindset Podcast. We'll see you next time. Design and differentiate your Dash, your way, and make today amazing.